could this evening, with the Lord's help and guidance, if we could turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18. And we take as our text. Verses 28 and 29. 1 Samuel 18 and verse 28. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Last Wednesday evening we were looking together at Hannah. And Hannah was a gracious woman and she was the mother of Samuel. And we saw that with Hannah, we saw not only how she she dealt with her difficult providences that she faced, uh, but we saw that she appeared on the stage of redemption for a specific purpose. Because Hannah's appearance on the threshold, she appeared on the threshold of a new era. An era different to that of the period of the Judges where we could say that Ruth belonged to the period of the Judges. That period when the children of Israel were caught up in that cycle of rebellion and restoration. Rebellion and restoration. And as we know, the period of the Judges, it was defined by the statement, in those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in their own eyes. But through Hannah and her earnest plea for a son, we saw that, Samuel was going to be the last judge in Israel. And he was going to pass on the baton to the new king in Israel by anointing him. And with a new king in Israel, I suppose you could say that everyone can't do what's right in their own eyes. But the story of 1 Samuel is taken up with this this desire to get the right king for Israel. Because the people want Saul to be their king. But God has his own chosen man. God has selected a man after his own heart. David, the shepherd boy. And so Samuel was a key figure in this transition from the period of the judges into the period of the kings. So much so that Samuel was going to be this this forerunner to David who would prepare the way for this coming king. But now as we go a little deeper into the story of of the first book of Samuel, and further into the story of redemption, further along the line, we see that David's progression from being the shepherd boy in the field to being the king of Israel in the palace, it wasn't going to be straightforward. Not just because Saul was on the throne before him, but because Saul was becoming increasingly jealous of David to the point that he now wants to kill him. And this is why we're considering this woman called Michal this evening. Because Michal was not only David's first wife, she was also Saul's youngest daughter. But what makes her stand out as a daughter of the king is that she was faithful to the king. Not to King Saul, who was the man after the people's heart, but she was faithful to King David, the true king of Israel. The man after God's own heart. And so I'd like us to look at this woman, Michal. And I'd like us to look at her under three headings. 
fighting for the king, faithful to the king, and not forgotten by the king. Fighting for the king, faithful to the king, and not forgotten by the king. So we look firstly at fighting for the king. Fighting for the king. If we look at verse 5 of chapter 18. Verse 5, chapter 18. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul, with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And so the context to this narrative and uh, King Saul's relationship to David, who was the shepherd boy, it's all based upon what happened in the previous chapter, in chapter 17. And it's all about what happened with Goliath. And we all know the fam familiar story of David and Goliath, the, the favourite children's story, where David the shepherd boy at the request of his father, he went out to, to the Israelite camp to see his brother. But as the story transpired, uh, we're told that David puts himself forward to offer to kill the great giant, the Goliath of Gath. And what's more, David didn't go out to face the enemy of God's people. He didn't go out clothed in Saul's armour. He just went with five smooth stones, a little sling, and the Lord on his side. David's desire was that all of the Lord's people would know, as he went out, that the Lord does not save with sword or with spear, but because the battle is the Lord's. And David's victory over Goliath not only shows the underdog defeating the favourite, or the boy slaying the giant, it also displays the power and the glory of God. That if God is for us, who can be against us? Which, of course, it ought to remind us, even going back to that, of what Paul said. That our fight, it's not a physical fight. It's one which does not involve flesh and blood. But our fight, it's a war against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world and against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Which is why Paul calls every Christian soldier not to take up Saul's armour, just like David, but to do as David did, to take up the whole armour of God, that we may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Because if God is for us, who can be against us? And that was the case with David. And because it was the case with David, this caused a lot of friction and jealousy with King Saul. And that's where we, we picked up the narrative in chapter 18, where David is being hailed as a hero by all the people, but he is being hated by the king. David was accepted in, in the sight of all the people, and he was being ac accepted in the sight of all of Saul's servants, but he was not accepted in the sight of Saul. Saul couldn't stand David. He just saw David as this young upstart who was taking the love of the people away from him. 
where the people had even been making up a song about Saul and David. Saul has slain his thousands, but David, well, his ten thousands. And as you would expect from a king who was meant to be shown reverence and honour and he was meant to be paid homage, we're told in verses 8 and 9, Saul was angry. And this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can be said? What more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. And Saul's question, it says it all. What more can he have but the kingdom? Because in that question, Saul came to the realisation He wasn't the true king in Israel. David was the true king of Israel. Saul realized that he wasn't the man after God's own heart. He wasn't God's choice. He was just the people's choice. And the role of the king in the nation of Israel, the purpose of a king was just to be like the prophets and the judges. It was their responsibility to lead the people, to turn them away from idols, to turn them to the Lord. But Saul wasn't doing that. He had been making unlawful sacrifices to other gods, as he does in, you read it in the earlier chapters. He'd been making rash oaths to God, to other gods, and he'd been sparing the lives of, of foreign kings when God had told him to kill them. He'd been, Saul had been doing what was right in his own eyes, and he hadn't been following the commands of the Lord. And when Saul is now confronted with David, this man after God's own heart, he is being reminded of how disobedient he had been and that the Lord isn't on his side. And this is what gets to Saul. This is what makes him jealous and and angry, where Saul has this spiritual jealousy over David. Because physically or in the form of things and temporary wealth, David had nothing. David was a shepherd boy. He was the youngest in his family, which was, it meant that he was unlikely to get any of the inheritance from his father, Jesse. But he had the Lord on his side. Although he had nothing temporary, he had everything because he had the Lord. And what he had was more than all the wealth and all the status and all the power of King Saul. And Saul knew it. Saul knew it and he's asking what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul knew that David had far, far more. And as we go through the narrative we can see this jealousy. It's, it's building and building all the time to the point where, where Saul snaps. It's in verse 10. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre. And as he did, day by day, Saul had his spear in his hand. And Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul's spiritual jealousy was taking over him. And it was affecting him because it was affecting his temper and his self-control. Where he tries to kill David, not only once, but twice. But the reason for Saul's actions was because, as it says in verse 12, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Saul knew that he wasn't the Lord's chosen king, and David was. 
And it was getting to him. It was bothering him. And you know, Saul's jealousy, it had caused him to have such a temper and a discontentment. And later in the narrative, Saul, he throws another spear at David, but he also throws, if you read on further, he throws a spear at his own son, Jonathan, because of his hatred of David. And in the end, Saul is trying to do anything and everything to get rid of David and prevent him from becoming king. But what Saul ought to teach us is that as the Lord's people, we need to control our temper. We need to watch our temper. Especially as examples and witnesses for Christ. We need to keep our cool when we experience confrontation. We need to remind ourselves, as Peter reminds us, of the example of Jesus Christ. Because Peter said in his letter, Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, he did not revile again. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. And that's what David did. Because there were opportunities in David's life when he could have easily taken revenge upon Saul. Even in the caves of Adullam. And Saul was right there before David's eyes and he was just within striking distance. He could have just got him there and then. And yet David committed himself to him who judges righteously. And that's what we need to do with people who may annoy us. Or get under our skin or act in a manner that's unrighteous or ungodly and it causes confrontation. We need to leave them with the Lord, with him who judges righteously. We need to commit them to the Lord in prayer and leave them with him who judges righteously. We need to let the Lord deal with them. Nevertheless, Saul's jealousy of David, it was increasing all the more. To the point that he now stoops to a new level of shallowness by using his own children to get at David. Because we're told in verse 17, Then Saul sent to David, Here's my elder daughter Merab. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And for David it was a great honour for a shepherd boy who had nothing to be given the daughter of a king. And that's what he says. David said to Saul, Who am I and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be the son-in-law to a king? But just to prove how shallow Saul was becoming and how much his jealousy was taking over his life, we read into verse 19, But at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel. The Mehul a fight for a wife. He was, she was given away to somebody else. Saul was, Saul was trying to get at David all the time. He was trying to show David who's really in control. And that's what jealousy does. It always wants to have the upper hand. And it was the Puritan tinker, John Bunyan, who said about jealousy that jealousy never thinks itself strong enough. <coughs> 
Jealousy never thinks itself strong enough. It always wants to be better. It always wants to have the attention. It always wants to get the praise. It always wants to be shown the honour. It always wants more. But again, that's not the example we're given by Christ. Let this mind be in you, says Paul, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men. He humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Which means that there's no room for jealousy in God's kingdom or in Christ's church. We ought to boast in nothing, says Paul, except Christ Jesus the Lord. But for Saul, he wanted to boast and glory in his position as king and authority and his authority over David. And so he gives David this other opportunity to marry into his royal family. Not thinking that it was actually David's family line, which was the true royalty. And this is where Michal first appears in the story of redemption. Because we're told in verse 22, And Saul commanded his servants, Speak to David in private and say, Behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke those words in the ears of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king desires no bride price, except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the, of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law before the time had expired. Saul didn't actually want David to be his son-in-law. He wanted David dead. So he sends him into this pointless battle. But David fights for the king and he fights for Michal's hand in marriage. And David comes home victorious. David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which is a gruesome picture. And he came and gave them in full to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter Michal for a wife. And again, the narrative, it's emphasizing that the Lord was with David and not Saul. And that Saul's jealousy, it's increasing all the time. All the time it's building. It says in verse 28, But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. But as we go into the next chapter, we see that Saul's children are more faithful to the true king of Israel than to him. And so we've looked at fighting for the king. David is fighting for the love of Michal, fighting to have, him as, have her as his wife. But secondly, we see faithful to the king. Michal being faithful to the king. So jump into chapter 19 and read at the beginning. Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants that they should kill David. 
But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard in the morning. Stay on a secret place and hide yourself. If we were to look at the beginning of the previous chapter, in chapter 18, we're told that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And that love which Jonathan, Saul's son, had for Saul's now son-in-law, David, it was being outworked by Jonathan's desire to protect David. Uh, We're being repeatedly told throughout the narrative that the reason Jonathan protected David was because he loved him as his own soul. Um, We see that Jonathan protects David. He protects him not only at the beginning of chapter 19 here, but also into chapter 20. Because although we didn't read it, although we didn't read it, uh, you'll remember the occasion when Jonathan gave excuses to his father Saul for David's absence. And he also gave this sign to show whether or not it was safe for David to return to the palace. And he did this by shooting three arrows into the forest and telling his servant to go and look for them. And he would say, either they're on this side or they're beyond there. And by giving the signal that they're beyond there, he was telling David to run for his life. But what I want us to see here in this passage, in chapter 19, is that Jonathan's younger sister, Michal, was David's first wife. And she is often overshadowed by her brother, Jonathan, and his relationship to David. But what's interesting is that she actually played a key role in the story of redemption. Because her faithfulness to the true king of Israel, it preserved the lineage which leads to Jesus Christ. Because when we read of Michal in the narrative, she's always described as Saul's daughter who loved David. Which means that Jonathan wasn't the only one of Saul's children who loved David. David. And it's an interesting observation to note that if David is a type of Christ, which he is, then in the family of Saul, there was a father who didn't love David, but children who did. And sometimes that's the case, where there is a father or a mother who doesn't love Jesus, but children who do. And the challenge which the children face is the same challenge which Jonathan and Michal faced. Are they going to be faithful to their earthly father or faithful to their heavenly father? Yes, they are to honour their earthly father and mother, but faithfulness belongs solely to the heavenly father. Faithfulness belongs solely to the true king, Jesus Christ. Which is why Jonathan and Michal were willing to stand up to their earthly father and remain faithful to David, the true king in Israel. And that's what we see with Michal. Because in verse 19, in verse 9 of chapter 19, uh, there's, I suppose you could call this deja vu moment. Where David is again playing music on his harp and Saul is again holding his spear 
And as David plays his harp, Saul again wants to pin David to the wall with his spear. And again, just like before, David slips away and he escapes from the hand of Saul. And we're told in verse 11 that everything has now come to a head. Where Saul has snapped completely and he's going to get rid of his new son-in-law once and for all. It says, Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. But Michal, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you'll be killed. In the morning, David's life was going to be over. But Michal intervenes coming up by coming up with this, this plan in order to protect the Lord's anointed. And she persuades David to flee from the palace out of the bedroom window. But what Michal does next, it's probably something you would see in a children's programme. That's the way I was thinking about it, uh, just reading it, where a defiant child would fill their bed with their pillows and put a wig at where the, the pillow is, and they, it would look like they're in their bed. And, but in fact, they had actually climbed out the window and they'd gone off to play with their friends. And in a sense, that's what's exactly what's happening here. Because it says in verse 13, Michal took an image and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with the clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he's sick. But it's interesting that we're told that Michal took an image. He, she took an image and laid it on the bed. It was an idol. An idol. And it must have been quite a big idol. To have resembled the frame and the body of David. And it's just a little note. I suppose that we would otherwise pass over. But it actually indicates the state of Saul's heart. That he has idols all over his palace. Even in the bedroom of his daughter and son-in-law. But as Michal puts together this decoy to buy David some time to escape. Uh, by putting some goat's hair on the pillow to resemble David's head. It's this ingenious plan. But in order to ensure that her beloved king has enough time to flee to Ramah, Michal comes up with this sob story and says that David is now sick. All of a sudden, David has come down with this illness that's left him bedridden. Anyway, Saul's messengers believe Michal and they, will, they relay the message to Saul and immediately Saul is suspicious. And we read that in verses 15. Then Saul sent the messengers to see David saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with the pillow of goat's hair at its head. And when all is revealed, Saul is furious and he questions his daughter's faithfulness to him. Saul said to Michal, why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michal answered Saul, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? Michal comes up with this story that David was threatening to kill her if she stood in the way. Which is a, pu a poor excuse. Because she would never have said that David was sick in the first place if she didn't know where he, was, where he had gone. But Saul isn't interested in Michal's excuse. All he wants is David dead. And that's, that's the last we hear of Michal until after Saul's death at the end of uh, the first book of Samuel. 
But what we must mention from this passage is that Michal's actions preserved the promise of the Messiah. By sparing David's life and protecting him from the hand of Saul, Michal protected the royal line of Christ. And this was displayed by Michal's love for David, not only as her husband, but also as the true king of Israel. Michal loved her beloved, which is the meaning of the name David. It means beloved. Michal loved her beloved, and she was willing to serve David rather than serve her father, Saul. And you know, that's a defining feature of a true daughter of the king. For Michal, she may have been a daughter of Saul, of King Saul, but I believe she was a true daughter of King Jesus because she was faithful to the true king and his kingdom despite what the king of this world and this kingdom demanded from her. And this is the battle which every son and daughter of the king has to face. We have the battle between being faithful to the king of this world and being faithful to the true king of God's people. And it's often a battle which is close to home, like it was with Michal. There are temptations to divert our course or to slip into unfaithfulness or to compromise our position as a Christian because of the demands of our family, where there is the temptation to put the true king into second place before the demands and wants of the false kings. But Michal shows us that her desire was to serve the true king, her beloved. And this is what Jesus spoke about when he addressed the issue of true discipleship. He says in Luke 14, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And Jesus is saying that true discipleship, it's all about denying self and putting the true king first. Which is why Jesus went on to say, whoever does not take up his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Therefore, true discipleship expressed by Jesus, it's lived out by our faithfulness to the king. True discipleship is expressed by our willingness to stand up and be counted as a son or a daughter of the king. True discipleship is expressed by our willingness to swallow our pride and to renounce our status and speak up for our king when many are unwilling. Because that's what Michal did. She risked everything for the sake of her beloved. And she was even willing to risk her own life because she loved the true king with all her heart and she wanted to serve him. And because of her faithfulness to the king, she was not forgotten by the king. And that's what I'd like us to consider lastly. We've looked at fighting for the king, David fighting to win Michal's hand in marriage. Then considered faithful to the king. She was, Michal was Faithful to protect the Lord's anointed. And because of her faithfulness, she was not forgotten by the king. She was not forgotten by the king. 
So we jump to Second Samuel. Second Samuel chapter three and verse twelve. Second Samuel chapter three and verse twelve. And Abner sent messengers to David on his behalf, saying, To whom does the land belong? Make your covenant with me. And behold, my hand shall be with you to bring over all Israel to you. And he said, Good, I will make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, that is, you shall not see my face unless you first bring Michal, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. And so by the time we come to this point in the history of redemption, a lot has changed. Because the last judge, Samuel, he has died of old age. Jonathan, David's beloved friend, he was killed in a battle with the Philistines and King Saul has committed suicide. And so as we move into 2 Samuel, we see that this narrative focuses upon the true king of Israel taking the throne and bringing peace to the promised land. And in these verses that we just read, David is making plans to take control of the entire nation of Israel. By this point, David is only king over Judah, which is the southern part of the nation. But here, Abner is offering David to take control of the northern part of the nation. Now, Abner, interesting man, he was the commander of Saul's army. He was the man who stood by Saul's side in every battle. But with that heavy defeat by the Philistines and the death of Saul and all his sons, Abner knew that David's army was eventually going to defeat them. And that's what we're told at the beginning of chapter 3. There was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. And David grew stronger and stronger while the house of Saul became weaker and weaker. And so Abner thought it best just to cut his losses and make a covenant with David. Because Abner can see now that David is the Lord's anointed. He says, God do so to Abner and more also if I do not accomplish for David what the Lord has sworn to him. To transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. And so Abner seeks to make this covenant with David to ensure that the armies of Saul and the armies of David that they'll no longer fight with one another. And that's the covenant. He says, does, it says in verse 12, to whom does the land belong? Make your covenant with me and behold, my hand shall be with you to bring over all Israel to you. And he said, good, I'll make a covenant with you. But one thing I require of you, that is you shall not see my face unless you first bring Michal, Saul's daughter, when you come to see my face. The covenant with Abner, it was agreeable to David. Everything was fine with it, except one condition. Bring me my Michal. That's what he wants. And it's an interesting request. But it's one which shows David's love for his first wife. Because by this time, David is now on to his second wife, Abigail. And he's on to his third wife, Ahinoam. But still, David desired to see his first love. Michal, whom Saul, he had actually married her off to another man so that uh, David couldn't get a hold of her. And so years have passed now, maybe about 20, 
And as far as we know, David hadn't seen Michal since that night she let him escape from their bedroom window. And although not much is made of it in the narrative, it must have been this wonderful reunion. Because since we first met Michal, we've been told again and again that she loved David. But after all these years of being apart and living separate lives and in different, dis- different lands, David still loves Michal, and Michal still loves her beloved. And in his covenant with Abner, David is demanding, bring me my Michal. And you know, I was thinking about it. Is that not what Christ is like with his bride, the church? Where he not only refused to enter into a covenant, unless she was part of the deal, But he also demanded that the covenant ensured he would see his beloved bride again. And that after years of being apart from his bride and living in separate separate lives from his bride and living in different worlds from his bride, and yet his covenant ensures us and it ensures him that he will see his beloved bride face to face again. And it's a wonderful thought that Like David was with Michal, the bride of Christ will not be forgotten by the king. She will not be left in a foreign land, but she will be taken home to the palace. She will be remembered and she will be summoned to come and meet her king, her beloved. And you often hear elderly people saying that the Lord has forgotten them. The Lord has left them. Well, if the opportunity arises, remind them of Michal. Michal, who wasn't forgotten by the king. But that's not the last we read of Michal. Time is going, I'm just going to conclude with this. Michal appears one more time in 2 Samuel 6. Where there is this great moment of celebration. When the Ark of the Covenant, that golden box which symbolized the presence and the glory of the Lord amongst his people and it's been marched into the the capital city of Israel it's now Jerusalem and the Ark of the Covenant it hadn't been seen since the very beginning of 1 Samuel when it was captured by the Philistines it'd been absent Saul didn't care about it But David, the true king, he's delighted that the Ark of the Covenant has been returned to the Lord's people. And he's he's dancing in praise to the Lord. And we're told in verse 14 of chapter 6, And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all his house of Israel brought up the Ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. But then we're told something negative about Michal. It's all been quite positive up until now. But then we're told in verse 16 something negative. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. After David had the ark of the Lord taken back into the city and replaced it in the tabernacle and made offerings to the Lord, He went home to his wives. And when he came home, we're told in verse 20, David returned to bless his household. 
But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honoured himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. Michal sarcastically praises David for dancing naked before the Ark of the Covenant, like someone who's drunk. But Michal's issue was that he was naked before other women. He was naked before the eyes of the young slave girls. He was naked before the eyes of everyone. Everyone was seeing him. And to some extent, I sort of agree with Michal because it seemed unnecessary to dance naked. Yet, that was David's expression of worship to the Lord. What I don't agree with is that Michal despised David for his actions. She thought he was disgusting because it wasn't the normal way to worship the Lord. And I suppose what we can take from this is that when Michal returned to the palace, the palace which she grew up in, and as she got older she became more obsessed with royal dignity and proper decorum and outward appearances. In a word, Michal became self-righteous. And you know, she's a warning to us as Christians. That as we go on in our Christian lives, we shouldn't become self-righteous. And despise things because they aren't what we grew up with. And they aren't the norm. Yes, everything we must do is biblical. That must never change. But we're not to despise something because it's different from the norm. Or not what we grew up with. Because as we can see with Michal's comment, the favour of the Lord wasn't with her. The last thing we're told about Michal, verse 23, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Out of David's eight wives, he had eight wives. Michal was the only one who didn't have children. But it wasn't because she was barren. It was because the blessing which David had come home to pronounce on his household, it was withheld from Michal because of her words. And it makes me think that we ought to take care not to stand in the Lord's way and withhold the blessing of the Lord just because we despise things that may be different from the norm or what we grew up with. And so that's Michal. We've considered fighting for the king, David fighting to win Michal's hand in marriage. She was faithful to the king. Michal desired to protect the Lord's anointed. And because of her faithfulness, she was not forgotten by the king. But even though it seems like a sad ending for Michal, after being such a good story, we mustn't forget that Michal was a daughter of the king. But she's also a solemn reminder that we must be faithful to the end. We must keep fighting the good fight of faith right to the very end. So may the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, we give thanks to thee for the history that thou hast given to us. We thank thee, O Lord, that 
It is a history that has been written by thine own hand. And we bless thee, Lord, that thine hand is able to be seen in it, that thou art the one who preserved thy seed, the seed that would lead to the great King, the King Jesus. And we thank thee, Lord, that we are able to look at that history, that we are able to see the outworking of it, and to know that all things are working together for good, in accordance with thine own purpose. O Lord, help us to see that these things are also true of our own lives, that thou art the God who has written our story, the God who is on every page of our lives, and the God who is with us on every page. Help us to know that thou art one who is all by our side each and every day. Bind us together, we pray thee. Undertake for us, that we may keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus and keep fighting the good fight of faith. Go before us, we ask. Cleanse us, we pray. And do us good and go before us, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We shall conclude by singing in Psalm 45. Psalm 45. It's in the Scottish Psalter.